But I do want to welcome all of you for being in the house this morning. It's so, so good to have you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Uh, very, very grateful for you. Uh, glad that you can stay engaged. I do want to just give a quick little update. At the end of last year, we had our end-of-the-year impact initiative called For the Future, and uh, we raised resources so that we can better reach and serve our community, helping people grow in their faith and connect with God. And, uh, and so we have kind of come to a, a clarity about uh, the amount of resources that, that we can uh, dedicate to upgrading some part of this facility. And so I wanted to let you know that we are uh, planning for uh, a few things that we would love for you to be a part of. Number one is next month we are hosting um, a cleanup day, okay? This is where we, we put in some uh, sweat equity. You guys know what that is? All right. We're going to put in some sweat equity. Uh, we've done this several times in the past. We have filled two 40-foot dumpsters uh, with stuff that we've just cleaned out on this property. We're going to do that again uh, in preparation for some of the stuff that we want to do in the months to come. Uh, so that's next month. And then following uh, that in March, okay, get ready for this. We are going to paint this property. So let me clarify that. We're not going to hire people to paint the property. We are going to attempt to paint this property. So if you have painting skills, come out. If you don't, still come out, okay? We have a 10-second training uh, that happens, all right? You just roll the roller on the, the side of the wall. So we're going to see how this turns out. We may have to pay painters to paint after us. Okay, maybe we'll shoot for painting the, uh, the primer on. Um, but we've got a plan, and then the hope of all this is that it's in preparation for Easter when oftentimes we anticipate uh, a lot of first-time guests stepping onto the property for the first time, uh, and, and so uh, we'll try to get the, the building looking good, but we'll keep you posted on some of those details as we move forward. Um, but today is week two of a series that we started last week on dangerous prayers, and I'll just say that I have loved uh, hearing from so many of you last week. We had a Bible app uh, prayer uh, curriculum that we were going through seven days. It ends today. But there were about 50 of you that participated in that. And it was such a blessing to hear how you were processing the devotional thoughts, how you were processing scripture. Uh, it was a blessing to me. And what I was encouraged by is that there were so many of you that demonstrated this desire to begin praying more dangerous prayers and, and what that means for us looks different, but oftentimes those are prayers that take us outside of our comfort zone, prayers that are a little bit different than the types of prayers that we've been praying up until that point. And you may be asking, why a series on prayer? Because we have taught on prayer before, we've talked about prayer, we've prayed as a church before, but this is the first time that we have ever done an entire series devoted to prayer. And really, the, the heart behind this entire series was born out of a desire for us to experience God in a new and in a fresh way. And I think that there are, are many of us uh, that, that need that, depending on where we're at in our journey of, of faith. Um, I think that in this season, God is inviting us into something more that can only be experienced if we step into prayer. And so... That's what we're doing in this series. Let me just get a poll of what's going on. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you ever had one of those friends that always seemed to be dating someone? Okay, and we're not going to hate on them, all right? They're doing, I had one of those friends. I'm not going to say his name, but he always had a girlfriend, always had a girlfriend, 
And, and the unique thing about this person and, uh, is that he always seemed to have a girlfriend that, in my opinion, uh, was a little bit outside of his league, okay? And so all of his friends, we were impressed, right? We didn't know how he was so successful at something that all of us felt a little bit like failures at. And so he, he had girlfriends, and so we did a little research, and eventually we came to find out that he lacked a quality that the rest of us had, right? He lacked a quality of, of fear of rejection. He did not have that. He did not care how many times he got rejected. And so what that meant is that he shot his shot with as many girls as he could. And as a result of that, he was just playing the numbers game. All right, it's like if you've ever been in a sales job, it's just about the numbers. How many asks can you put out and you'll get a certain amount of yeses? Well, he got a lot of yeses. Uh, probably not by percentage, but in comparison to the rest of us. Now, I am not encouraging anyone to take this approach when it comes to relationships. Let me just say that, okay? Let me just make that clear. But what I admire in this person is the attribute of shameless persistence. Okay, he had shameless persistence. I want you to say that with me because that's what we're going to talk about today. If, any, if you walk out of the room uh, this morning, that's what I want you guys to remember, okay? So we're going to say it on three. Shameless persistence. One, two, three. Shameless persistence. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about shameless persistence when it comes to prayer. And I imagine that that description is probably not how you have ever thought about prayer before, about being shamelessly persistent. And so to do that, we're going to revisit the same passage that we looked at last week in Luke chapter 11, which is in the New Testament. And this is basically a mini biography of Jesus' life uh, that's also known as a gospel account. And it's written by Luke, who was a physician, uh, also a historian. And he gives an account of Jesus' ministry on earth. And he introduces, he invites us into this moment that changes how the disciples think about ministry moving forward. So we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus was praying, and in this moment, his disciples did something that we have no record of them ever doing before or after. They approached Jesus and they said, would you teach us something? Now, they didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to prophesy, which was amazing. They didn't teach, ask, him, uh, ask Jesus to teach them how to perform miracles or, or, or how to preach, which all of which were part of Jesus' public ministry. But they asked him, Jesus, how do you pray? Would you teach us to pray? Which for someone like me who's a three on the Enneagram, I would have been asking prayer, or how do you preach, how do you uh, uh, perform miracles, and how do you prophesy? And so why did the disciples not ask him those same things? Well, because they had an inside look at his life. And what was different about their habits and Jesus' habits is that Jesus prayed. He prayed often. And what they began to notice is that Jesus' power in a public setting came from the time that he spent with God in private. It's where his power came from. From being in the presence of God, it refueled him. It gave him discernment and insight and confidence as he faced all of the unique challenges of ministry that lied ahead. And, and we know this because there's a great example of this in Jesus' life in the New Testament. 
It is just before Jesus is about to go to the cross and Jesus gets alone. He asks his disciples to pray and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he begins to pray to God about what is about to happen to him. And he says, God, if you can, will you take this cup from me? In other words, he's saying, God, if there's any way that we can make this happen without me having to endure the cross, could we do that? And then he follows up that statement with, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And this is a perfect picture of what happens in prayer and in the presence of God. There's an aligning of vision and purpose that we come into alignment with God. And so Jesus, this prayer in the presence of God, gave him the power to do what he came to do. And this is what we believe here in this church, is that what prayer did for Jesus then, it can do for us now, right? What prayer did for Jesus then, it can do for us now. There is power in prayer. And this is the beauty of the faith that many of us in this room profess and possess and experience is that we do not have to have leftover faith from a previous generation. I don't know if you guys have ever eaten leftover food. My wife had nachos uh, the other day, and, uh, and I went to go eat the leftovers, but by the time I got to them, the guacamole was brown and the chips were soggy, right? <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to eat soggy chip nachos, right? So they went, the tr- I, I ate them still, but <laughs> it's because don't, we don't like to waste food. <laughs> That's the motivation. Um, But we don't have leftover faith. What Jesus promised 2,000 years ago is still relevant to who we are today and the journey that we're on in this moment. James 5.16 says that the fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power. All throughout Scripture, prayer has power. Prayer has power. But I think that many of us right now are maybe in the same place that the disciples were when they approached Jesus and they asked him, teach us to pray. We love the idea of having power in our prayers. I don't know about you, but I love that idea. But I have also experienced the challenge of accessing that power through my prayer life. And so look at what Jesus tells them. He teaches them how to pray in verse 2. It says, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield. Don't let us fall into temptation. I love that in Jesus' response, he chooses to be clear over cute, right? He chooses to be very clear. He gives them a very clear template about how to pray. He says, First, may your name be kept holy. In other words, may the world follow and obey you. May people keep your name set apart and holy. And essentially, it is a prayer that others would know and honor God, that God's name would be kept holy on the earth. And then he says, may your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is a place where everything is in alignment with God's vision for how things should be, for reality. And heaven is a place where God's will is always played out. Earth is a place where God's will is sometimes played out. But Jesus said, pray for the kingdom of God to come fully to this world. And and I think it's interesting 
when we think about the first two lines of this prayer that Jesus offers, these first two lines basically say, pray for the world to know God and for them to experience his goodness through his kingdom. And that's part of our prayer here as a church, that our community around us would know God and experience his goodness in their life. There's an outward focus. But then the rest of Jesus' prayer becomes a little bit inward focus. It says, give us each day the food that we need, that we need. Essentially, this is a prayer for God's provision in our life, whether it is food or whether it's our health or resources that we need or a place to stay or a place to live. We are asking God to help provide for us what we need to do what he has called us to do. And I just want to take a moment to pause. I hope that no one here ever feels bad or wrong or shameful or guilty for asking God what you need, for telling God what you need. Scripture tells us to do that. Ask him for our daily bread. Tell God what we need. Then it says to forgive us. Confession is a huge part of the template of prayer that God gives us. It is this ability to come to God and to confess to him the areas of our life where we have stepped out of God's best for us. And the value of that is the same uh, value that we would have in any other relationship. If you have offended someone, but you try to move on from it without ever addressing it, what happens to that relationship? It gets stalled out over that one thing. But it's when we can come to someone and confess and acknowledge the areas where we have been wrong, where we have uh, overstepped, we have caused an offense. The other value in going to God and confessing our sin, acknowledging where we have stepped outside of his best for our lives, is that it gives us compassion for people who have sinned against us. Because we become more self-aware of the areas of our life where we don't have it all together. And so when someone else's life that doesn't have it all together, bleeds over on our life, we have a little bit more compassion, which leads into the next thing that Jesus says. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, I do not know one person over the age of 25 does not regularly need to forgive someone in their life. Okay, there are probably several people that come to mind when we hear this prayer, and I think it's interesting because it is not a suggestion on Jesus' part. Jesus is not saying you should think about forgiving people in your life. He, it is an expectation. He says, forgive us the same way that we forgive others. And the reason why Jesus says this and the reason why it was relevant 2,000 years ago and it's still relevant to us today is because what he knows is that oftentimes forgiveness is more for us than it is for the other person. Because there are many of us that are holding on to hurts that have happened to us decades ago, and we try to move on in life, but the problem is, is that the bitterness is eating us from the inside out. And so Jesus, in his grace and love for us, says, forgive those who have caused an offense in your life. Number five, the fifth thing Jesus says, he says, and let us not give in to temptation. Keep us from temptation. Keep us from falling into the traps of temptation in our life. And, and each of us 
can probably imagine specifically what those things are for us in this season of life. Maybe it is anger or frustration or jealousy or envy or gossip or lust or infidelity or greed or addiction to some habit in our life. And, the, and there's so much value in what Jesus is saying. Because when we make it a regular habit in our life to pray about the areas of temptation in our life, we become self-aware and we begin to see the things that are all around us and, it's a, and it serves as a defense for us falling into things as if we just, uh, as opposed to just wandering and walking through life, we are aware, we're ready. And if we can name it, we can beat it. And I love this. I love that in this moment, as the disciples ask Jesus to teach him about prayer, he gives them this starting template. And I just want to say that if this is what your prayer looks like for the next 50 years, you will live a blessed life. And this is what we call like one of those slow drip blessings, okay? You don't know that you're living a blessed life until you look back and you realize how far you've come. If you've been uh, in the hospital recently or ever, I don't know, and you've seen what they, those little IVs, right? What does it do? It's just dripping little by little into that bag. And that liquid is little by little coming into your body. But what it does over time is it begins to transform what is happening in here. That's what this template applied to your life over time will do to you. Can you imagine how different you would be as a person today, if forgiving others who have hurt you was a regular part of your conversation with God? Can you imagine how different your life would be if you invited God into the temptations in your life or, or you invite you, you confess to God all the things that you know and you just cleared the slate with you and God. Imagine how different your mind and your heart would be as you engage with people all throughout the day. You'd be a different person. Consistency over time equals a changed life. It's kind of like this. Whenever my kids come home from school, I ask them, how was your day? What did you do and what did you learn? Did you know that they can basically give one word to answer all of those questions? <laughs> nothing. I learned nothing. Every day you learn nothing, really. You were here for five hours, six hours, and you learned nothing. Nothing. I learned nothing. But somehow, miraculously, over the course of their, their, the year, they learned a whole bunch of skills. All right, somehow not learning anything each day, they learned uh, a whole bunch of skills. That is what this prayer life will do to you. You may not show up every morning. I just finished my prayers. I can sense all the transformation that God has done in my life. It's probably not going to feel like that every day. But when you look back over the course of your life, you will begin to see how valuable this prayer is to you. You will also notice it when you don't pray. Right? When you pray, you get into a habit, it becomes normative. But when you don't pray, you start feeling a little bit uneasy. You notice that you're just not right for the day. And so Jesus says, He gives us this perfect template for prayer. And, and what I love about this is that Jesus is also communicating that our prayers have the power to change things in the world. He literally tells us to pray for the kingdom of God to come. Somehow, God has invited us to be a part of that reality coming into this world. So Jesus tells them to pray, but then 
This may be my favorite part of the entire passage. He tells them how to pray. In verse five, it says, then teaching them more about prayer, he uses this story. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at night wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat, right? Hospitality in the ancient Near East was this really important thing. And so if you don't have food for your guests, that was a huge problem. You're in a bind. And so the neighbor goes to his, his neighbor, verse 7, and, and suppose, so he's telling this story. Suppose you're in need. You're in a bind, verse 7. And suppose your neighbor, he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. My family and I are in, all in bed. I can resonate with that. When my kids are in bed, don't come knocking at my door, okay? <laughs> we just got these little rascals down. And he says, I can't help you. Right, this guy's asleep. His neighbor comes asking him for help. The man has learned the principle of saying no, ain't got no problem, even if it's his neighbor. Nope, I can't help you. Because what has happened is his level of potential discomfort, having to get up out of bed and wake his family up, outweighed the level of friendship that he had with this neighbor. <laughs> he doesn't care if his neighbor is in a bind. I'm in sleep. I'm asleep. And do you know what it's like to ask for help when you're in a bind and someone says no? Okay, the other day, no, months ago, uh, my wife and I, we were vac vacationing with some friends. They invited us to, to go hang out with them in Tahoe. And so we're all hanging out. We all drove the same car together. And, uh, and honestly, this story is just a picture of my life. But they all drive the same car together. I said, meet, meet you back in the parking lot. I go up to the parking lot. The car's gone. So I thought it was actually there. I just forgot what the car looked like. So I run back, I run back to where I thought my friends were. And so I'm looking around, and, and there's just people all over the place, middle of the day, and I'm running around for 35 minutes. Didn't have my wallet and didn't have my phone, right? I'm looking around, I start getting desperate. I'm like, I don't know how to get back home. I can't call an Uber. I don't know the address. And I'm pretty sure they're frustrated looking at me, looking for me. And so finally, I just go up to a nice looking guy. And I say, hey, I got lost. Do you mind if I borrow your, your phone just to call my friend? And he like looks up at me and he looked, give me like the look me up, look me down. And he said, no. <laughs> I said, God bless you. Um, and, I, and I ran around for another 30 minutes. All right, it is, it is embarrassing. It is hard. It is uncomfortable to be in a situation, uh, to be in a bind and, and people don't want to help you. And I respected that. Um, but guess what I did not do? I did not ask him again. I didn't say, come on, man. I mean, I, just take me 10 seconds. I call my wife. She has her phone. They'll come pick me up. Be done. I promise you, I'm not going to steal your phone. Um, you know, I look threatening to people. I understand that. But look what the sleeping, look what the neighbor did. Because he did, the sleeping neighbor did not anticipate this man's level of desperation. Verse eight, it says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship, Jesus is saying about the neighbor who's asleep, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Jesus said that this man was shameless in his persistence. Verse nine, and so I tell you, 
Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So if you sinful people, Jesus was keeping it real, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask him? Jesus is leveraging this teaching style where you compare and contrast a good thing for a bad thing. And he's saying, if you can get this old, grumpy, nasty, narcissistic neighbor to answer the door because you keep knocking, how much more can you get when you have a loving and gentle and caring and concerned father who wants to help you in a time of need? And so in this story, what Jesus is highlighting as he admires this man's shameless persistence, as he uses this attitude, and he describes it, he says, we can have this attitude as we approach God in prayer. Is this not shocking to anybody? That the example and template for teaching people how to pray, Jesus is saying, be annoying, be persistent, keep knocking, keep praying, keep coming. This is what Jesus is saying. When it comes to our prayer life, he says, ask, ask me for what you need in your life. And he says, don't just ask me, but, but ask me with shameless persistence, shameless audacity, ask without limitation. Do you know that when Jesus is saying this, he is inviting you and me into a very intimate level of relationship. The only people in my life that ask me for things without limit, with audacity, and with a shameless attitude are my children. They're the only ones who ask me for ridiculous things that everybody knows. You just don't ask people for those things. But they come to me because I'm their father. And they don't know that they cannot ask me for whatever is in their heart. They don't know that they cannot ask me for whatever they need. And Jesus is saying, this is what we have with God. We can go to God without limitation in our prayers. Come to me with your request and don't sand them down with reason. Do not send your request to God down with politeness or with a desire to polish your prayers or to look mature or to look like you have faith and like you have it all together. Don't stop asking with shameless audacity. And what I love about this story is that all of it, all of it is rooted in this deep, deep loving desire to be and relationship with his children. And we might wonder, why? Why does Jesus spend so much time talking to his disciples and telling them about this story? I think it's probably the same reason that so many of you need to hear it today and so many of us, why I needed to hear it this week. It's because most of us, most of us do not ask God for enough. There are issues that some of you are battling with today. There are things that you are battling with right now in this moment. And you have never brought it to God. 
You are suffering alone, and you have not brought it to God. There are a lot of people who read this passage, and they say, you know, the, the, they think the big question is, what about prayers that never go answered? The bigger question is, what about all the prayers that never get prayed? What about all the problems that you are dealing with in your heart and in your mind, and you have never thought to bring them to God who wants to help you, who wants to heal you? How many things in our life go unchanged because we don't have the ability to offer them to God? Jesus probably saw them asking with timidity instead of shameless, persistent. And I get that sometimes, right? There is sometimes in the culture and the environment of church that we came up in, there's an attempt to be obedient and pleasing to God, to seem full of faith, but the problem is that sometimes that, that, that cage that we have put ourselves in doesn't allow for us to come to God in like this raw, open, emotional, faith-filled way. Because as much as we want to please God, he wants to please us. God wants to bless you. There is a reason scripture calls him the father. I don't know one father who loves his children that doesn't want to bless them. He may not know how. He may not be very good at it, but in his heart of hearts, he wants to be a blessing to his children. When I ask my kids, what do you want to do for fun? I'm not waiting for them. Sometimes I am. I'm not waiting for them always to tell me what I want to hear that we're going to do. I want to know. What do you want? What sounds good to you? What would be fun to you? In Exodus chapter 32, there's a conversation between God and Moses. And this is where Moses is interceding. He's praying on behalf of the people. Now, we're not going to go into detail in this story, but, but Moses begins to pray to God with shameless persistence. And in that moment, this is what God's response was. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, it says, So the Lord re relented about the terrible disaster that he had threatened to bring on his people. That word relented is the word naham. It can be translated as relented, but it can also be translated as change of mind or repented. Anytime that word is used to anyone else in scripture besides God, it means repented. But in this passage, there is this concern with some of our theology to think that God would actually respond to our prayers. But the true nature, definition of this word is that God changed. He, he changed his mind. He relented. And what that means is that God responds to your prayers. That there is actual power in your prayers when you come to God. It is this dynamic relationship that we have. Have you guys ever seen that meme of the guy who's like sitting on a college campus and there's a table and there's a sign and it's like this really controversial statement and it's like uh, Chick-fil-A is better than In-N-Out and it says prove me wrong. Right? It says prove me wrong change my mind. God allows for us to come to his table. 
and to put forth our requests and our desires. And he comes to us with an open heart. Your prayers can move God. Jesus tells us to pray these shameless, persistent prayers. And he says, don't give up. There are some times that we have prayed for someone for so long and nothing has changed and we wonder, does God even hear us? And over time, we just give up. But Jesus is saying, don't give up. Keep praying for your marriage. Keep praying for your children. Keep praying for healing. Keep praying for victory. Keep praying for strength. Keep praying for friends that seem to have no hope in their life. Keep praying for your parents that you feel estranged from. Keep praying for your career. Keep praying for the things in your life that you sense that God is leading you to, but you cannot see a way forward. Keep praying for them. God says, be persistent in those prayers. And this is always how God has designed it. In the book of Genesis, chapter one, verse 26 through 28, God says that we were meant to rule and reign over this earth with him. That is for some reason, God has invited his creation to have influence how the order of this world works. And I don't know about you, but I needed this passage this week. I needed it this week. And God's goodness and his gracious and his just all-knowingness, he knew that we would need this in our family this week. Yesterday, two days ago, my wife found out, we found out that my mother-in-law, who has been sick for several months, has a late-stage form of a rare cancer. And all throughout this week, we were in a prayer guide with our church and constantly, as we read the faith and the prayer of other people who were talking about trusting God and, and difficulty and challenging themselves to just pray these dangerous prayers, we were so inspired. And, and, and as much as this has felt like this heartbreaking moment in our family's life, we feel more equipped than we have ever felt before. That we are going to step into this journey praying dangerous, bold confident prayers and we're not going to stop praying and we're going to persist and we're going to ask God to provide a miracle because that's what God does. And in this church, we have had some tragic events happen to people connected to this community. Tragic, heartbreaking, and I imagine that we are not alone, that you have shown up into this place connected to some tragedy in your life or someone else's life. And what we are going through is not unique to us, but it is the nature of life. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you're stepping into this next year. But what I want to challenge you in, at least in this next week, to begin forming a habit, what if instead of going to Google first, we went to God to help us resolve a situation in our life. What if instead of ranting on social media, we used all that energy that we put in to putting those, what we think are well-formulated, well-articulated posts on social media, which really are not usually, okay? And all that energy and all that time that it takes to do that, what if we spent that time in prayer? Inviting God, the one who can really change our situation, what if we invited him into it? 
And what I want you to do during this next song as the band plays is I want you to identify that thing in your life that needs some shameless prayer. That thing in your life that has been so heavy and so hard and unresolved year after year, whether it is a relationship or a marriage or your career or your own mental health. Let this next song be that time where you say, God, today I wanna, I wanna re-up because God says do that. When you feel like giving up, God has not given up. When you feel like quitting, God has not quit what he is teaching us and being persistent in our prayers is to be dependent on him in those moments when we don't have an answer to our problems. One pastor said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder in our world. There's power in prayer. And there are some of you that are here today where you are literally at ground zero. And when you pray today, maybe for you, your prayer is to address the disorder that is happening in your own heart. There are some of you that have been disconnected from God for a long time. There are some of you that have been disconnected from God your entire life. And you came today because you are searching and you are asking questions. And the answers that you have gotten up until this point have only seemed to last for a season. But you go to bed with that same heavy heart, that same broken spirit, that same unresolved conflict. Because the problem you have is really not external. There is a God-shaped vacuum in your heart that you have been trying to fill with everything else except for God. And this morning, maybe the prayer for you, no matter where you are, if you're tuning in online, is to ask God to do a work in you first. And if that's where you're at today, I want to invite you in this moment to consider stepping into faith for the very first time. And there is nothing special that you have to do because the Bible tell us that, tells us that the work has already been done on your behalf. That Jesus already paid the price. All we have to do is receive the gift that has already been accomplished on our behalf. And so this morning, I want to lead you in a simple prayer, if that's where you're at, to invite God into your life, to pray that prayer, to experience more of God, more of what you are really searching for. So if that's where you're at today, no matter where you're at, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and to bow their heads. If you're tuning in online, you can pray along with us. And I'm going to ask you to repeat this simple prayer after me. It's nothing about the words. It's just whether or not these words reflect the condition of your heart. You can pray this in your heart with me. Dear God, thank you for bringing me into this moment today. Thank you that you have pursued me like a father. Thank you for not giving up on me when I gave up on you. Thank you for loving me enough 
to send your son to sacrifice his life on my behalf. Today, I want to turn from the old life and I want to step into a new life. I want to step out of my old life and become a new creation from the inside out. Today, I receive the gift of salvation. And God, I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, I believe. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And today, if you made that decision, if you prayed in your heart that prayer to step into faith for the first time, would you quickly just raise your hands up so we can know what God is doing in this place? Go ahead and just raise your hand up. Slip your hand up. If you're tuning in online, go ahead and click the button at the bottom of the chat. And we have a team of people that would love to connect you with some resources to help you continue grow in your relationship with God. Father, we thank you so much that every week you are moving and you are shaking and you are stirring in this place. And Father, we ask that you would allow for us in this church, these people to invite you into those moments in life where we have not figured out how to navigate it so that you can help us. I pray as we go about this week, God, that you would begin to work through prayer in our lives. I pray a blessing over this community, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.